we want to turn our attention to the gospel of Mark. Mark's gospel, chapter 2. And we want to look in verses 13 through 17 today just for a thought of the urgency to follow Jesus. There is an urgency that we follow Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to be aware it's, a, it's urgent that you make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. One Sunday evening, General William Booth was walking in London with his son Bramwell. Bramwell at this time was somewhere between 12 and 13 years of age, and his father surprised him. He was shocked when his father took him into a tavern. Now, some of you young folks may not know what a tavern is. He went into a bar with his son. This place was crowded with men and women. And some were drunk. Some were loud. But what was very obvious to Bramwell was there was a a smell that filled this room of alcohol and tobacco. Bramwell turned to his father and said, can we go now? I don't even know why you brought me into this place. General Booth looked at his son and said, son, these are our people. These are the ones I want you to love. These are the ones people, these are the people that I want you to live for. These are the people I want you to bring to Christ. Years later, Bramwell wrote, that was a lesson I never forgot. It's a lesson still worth learning today. And it's a lesson that we learn from Jesus here in Mark's gospel. This passage in Mark's gospel, it's a beautiful picture of our Lord's compassion and love for lost people. The Bible tells us here in verse 13, Verses 13 through 17 in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. The Bible says, And then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came with him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining at Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you again for this day, for this time. Now we pray that the meditation of our hearts and the words of our mouth would be pleasing unto you. God, speak to your people and we'll praise you for all that you accomplish. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. At this point of the passage, <laughs> at this point of the message, I am aware of what time it is. 
just stay with me for a few minutes. <laughs> At this place in the passage, Jesus is, is out by the Sea of Galilee. And there's a large mass of people that were now flocking to him. Up to this point, many had witnessed or heard about Jesus casting an unclean spirit out of a man in a synagogue that Jesus was teaching in. Many had witnessed or heard about Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. Many had witnessed or heard about, about how Jesus had healed a leper as well as a paralytic. Many had, had heard about how Jesus was teaching in other synagogues in nearby towns. This mass of people appears to be too large for a building to hold them. And after Jesus' recent claim to be God by openly forgiving a paralytic man, the religious leaders didn't really want Jesus in their synagogues. But what's apparent in verse 13 is that this wasn't going to keep Jesus from preaching uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Besides, Jesus shares in chapter 1 in verse 38, he shares in there that Jesus had come forth for this reason. He said, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. So no matter what doors were closed to Jesus, Jesus faithfully continued his preaching and his teaching. His purpose was to preach, and he could do nothing less. The Bible says that multitudes came to him, and he taught them. Now, what we know without a doubt is that Jesus taught the truth. He was the very truth. He declared that he is the truth. And, and people who came to hear him came from all walks of life. There were those who were seeking hope in this dark world. There were those who were seeking peace in, this, in the trouble that this world gives. There are those who were, who were hoping for an uprising. There were those who were skeptical and just wanted to hear what the man had to say. There were those who were afraid. Yes, I mean, they were afraid that people... People would follow Jesus and they would lose their authority in this world. Multitudes came together to hear Jesus and, uh, and to hear the truth. And, and sadly, I'm afraid that many are confused today. You know, what's become popular with many preachers and teachers who are Bible believers is this thinking that people don't want to hear the truth anymore. And I'm not so sure that's accurate. There may be some who don't want to hear the truth. But I believe there's a multitude of people out there who still want to know that they can have peace in the midst of their problems. There's people out there that want to know that in the midst of the chaos of this world, they can be comforted. There's people out there in this world who, who, who are struggling and they want to know that, that they can find strength in the midst, in the midst of their hopelessness, that there's hope as well. And the hope is found in the promises of God. We must continue to declare the truth 
of God's word in season and out of season. The apostle Paul goes as far as to say in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, just be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Folks, it's imperative that we continue to preach and teach the truth. It's imperative that people have the opportunity to respond to the truth of the gospel because the call to salvation is real. That call is real. There, listen, unsaved, if you think it's a joke, just talk to some of these who are saved and let them tell you how real this call really is. It seems here at, that, that once Jesus was finished teaching, he had to be exhausted. I mean, he had to be exhausted with the multitudes. I'm sure there might have been questions from, from people just trying to challenge him. And, and he stayed there with them. And it appears that they left. I don't know how that big multitude got gone, but they, they just left. Maybe they got hungry. The scripture doesn't share. Maybe they got thirsty. Maybe it was late and they knew they were going to have to work the next day. I don't know. But they departed away from him. And he went walking down the seashore. Apparently... He comes near a tax booth. New King James says a tax office. Some scholars seem to think that this booth or this office was set up near the seashore just to collect taxes um, by those who, were, who had incoming ships. Jesus saw this one tax collector by the name of Levi. Mark identifies Levi as the son of Alphaeus. Alphaeus is also listed as the father of James in chapter 3 of this same book. And we see that in verse 18 where it speaks, Jesus is, it, we see the names of the apostles. And in verse 18 it says, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus. Now, this is not the same James who had the brother John. They were the sons of Zebedee. So this is a different James here that Alphaeus is the, is the father of. But we see here in chapter 2 that Alphaeus is the father of Levi. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us that Levi is indeed Matthew, the writer of the gospel of Matthew. So I don't know what took place. We don't know. Some speculate that Jesus changed his name to Matthew. And when he wrote the book or the letter, he, he just took the name Jesus gave him. It could have been Matthew, his first name, or his middle name. It could have been Levi was his first name or middle name. Whatever the case, Mark identifies this tax collector as Levi, the son of Alphaeus. And it appears that he was in charge of this office. The Bible says that Jesus saw Levi. Jesus said to him, follow me. What this meant that was that Levi had to leave his scheming behind. This meant that Levi would have to lose his wealth. This meant that Levi would, would trade in greed in this world for eternal life. This was, this was a call to leave what he knew to follow Jesus. And the Bible says that he rose and he followed him. Now, you may be asking, how do you know he was greedy? How do you know he, he was wealthy? Well, he was a tax collector. That's how I know. You who are here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to hear this. At this time, tax collectors were 
looked upon as traitors, outcasts, and sinners. Here in the Jewish society, that's what they were known as. They were bitterly hated. They were looked upon as having sold their souls to the Roman authorities. These people would would line their own pockets by overcharging their own people with taxes. As long as the Roman officials got what they asked for, they didn't care how much they charged their own people. They could care less how much was extorted. Romans got theirs, tax collectors got theirs, the people griped. Yeah, ain't that what we do? (laughs) The government gets theirs, tax collectors get ours, and we gripe. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because of their underhanded, selfish schemes, most tax collectors were wealthy. But they were outcast among their own people. Someone here today, you may not be a tax collector. You may not be scheming, but you may feel as if you're an outcast. You may feel that Jesus may be making a mistake if he were to call you. You may feel that you've done too much. You've said too much. You've rejected him too many times for him to call you. Maybe your reputation is such that you think God wouldn't want to have his name attached to you. You may have some of the same struggles that Levi dealt with. Maybe you receive piercing looks or you, or sharp comments are thrown toward you. Or maybe you feel isolation. Maybe you know that there are people out there that just hate you. And just maybe this is weighing heavy on you today. And, but if you're looking for peace, in the midst of your problems, if you're looking for comfort in the midst of the chaos, if you're looking for hope in this hopeless world we're in, I want to encourage you to follow Jesus. Uh, if, if this is you, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and, I will, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I want to assure you that Jesus sees you right where you are. And he's calling out to you right now. He wants to gift you with forgiveness and a love that this world can never give you. You're not here by accident today. His call to you is real today. The call to salvation is real, but so is their concern for souls. Now, too often, many of us are concerned with losing friends if we decide to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Many are afraid that those they care about will not understand and will no longer want them around. The concern is that if things stay the way they are, you're going to be miserable. And if things change, you're going to lose so much that you're going to be miserable. However, once you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you'll be surprised at what you might truly be concerned with. Right now, you're, you're blind. All you can see is the world. You can't see anything spiritual. But when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he opens your eyes to a brand new world. And you begin to see things a lot clearer than you can right now. 
Oh, if you experience true salvation, I mean peace and forgiveness and joy. They, they can only come from knowing the Savior, the love that permeates throughout your life and the hope that, that goes beyond this world that he puts inside of you. <sighs> You'll want others to experience this same thing. Uh, your concern for others will change. It won't be so much that, that you're concerned how they look at you. You'll be concerned about them knowing what you know about Jesus. The Bible indicates here that soon after this, soon after Levi chose to follow Jesus, Jesus and his disciples were in Levi's home. It appears that Levi had invited what was probably the only friends in the world he had, which were tax collectors and sinners. The Bible says there were many of them in there. So this lets us know that Levi was a rich man. And obviously he had a large home to accommodate everyone. Levi was experiencing a walk in the newness of life. And he was concerned with his friends being lost and on their way to a demon's hell. He didn't just forget about them. He was concerned for them. He planned a feast so that they can meet the man who changed his life. He desperately wanted his friends to experience this newness of life that he was enjoying. You know, one writer likened, one writer likened Levi's salvation experience to a volcano. You know what a volcano does? It explodes. It erupts. That's what it does. Levi's salvation experience was so explosive that he wanted it to erupt on all of his friends so that they would know what he's feeling. I wonder how many of us want everybody that we know to know the joy and the peace and the hope that we know. Uh, too often, we concern ourselves with the wrong things. We concern ourselves with, with what others think, what others say, what others do. We concern ourselves with the rejection of this world with newsflash. The world rejected Christ and the world will reject us. Jesus said in Luke 10 that whenever you enter into a city and they reject you, just wipe the dust off of you and keep going. In Luke 10 and 16, he says, who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. And if we'll do what he would call us to do and trust him to do with what only he can do, then things will be great in our lives. I'm not saying things will never get rough. But in the midst of the rough stuff... The reality is you'll, you'll have joy and you'll have peace and you'll be comforted. I want to encourage us. You know, we have a tendency to concern ourselves with matters that we have no control over. And I want to encourage us to concern ourselves with what we can control. What can we control? We can respond to the call the salvation by believing that Jesus is the son of God. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died to provide forgiveness for our sins. And he arose from the dead to give us victory over the grave. Oh, we can control how we respond to this. Folks, you cannot control how people will respond to you or how they will respond to the call of salvation themselves. But you can control how you respond to the call of salvation and how you live your life surrendered to Jesus and his mission.
I, I, I know what troubles us. It troubled me when I was lost for some time. And it begins to trouble me even today from time to time to how much of a challenge religious leaders are to the gospel. And we see in this text the challenge of the religious leaders, and it's just sad. It's sad. That we have religious leaders from denominations all across the United States, all across the world, who will take God's holy and precious word and corrupt it with their own agendas. It happens. Sadly, what also happens is that religious people will look at new converts a little sideways. <laughs> now understand what I said. I didn't say Christians. I said religious people. Now I don't know where you fit in this. I hope everyone in here are Christians. <laughs> and we don't have any religious people at Reedy Branch. Because what religious people will do is they'll look at you and maybe shake their heads. They, they, they may indeed give you looks of skepticism, which, are, which is just hypocritical. Some may look at you as though you aren't worth the trouble. But it really doesn't matter what they say. What matters is what Jesus says. While the religious elite, the scribes, and the Pharisees complained about Jesus spending time with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus heard them. I, I don't know about you, but I'm glad he's a friend to sinners. Because he was a friend to me when I didn't want nothing to do with him. He could have took me out of this world, but he was a friend to me. He kept me when I couldn't keep myself. Here in this passage, Jesus heard them. And he responded to them the very same way every born-again believer should look at every person who's far from God. Every person who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We must look at them as being sick and in need of a great physician. That's what Jesus told these hypocrites, these religious leaders. He said those, of, those who are well have no need for the physician. But those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous. And if you get the proper translation, it's self-righteous. But sinners. Because a self-righteous person, you can't help. They think they're right when they're not. But a sinner, you can help because they know they're not. You know, I don't, I don't know what being the church or the body of Christ means to most of you. What I do know is that I've done a poor job as the pastor of this church. If we had the same attitude toward outcasts and sinners as these religious leaders had. We need to ask ourselves, do we look at people or do we look at their circumstances? Do we see souls or do we see skin color? Do our hearts break for the drug dealer, the drug addict, the alcoholic, the abuser, the same as it does for the educator, the doctor, the lawyer, the business person, or the person who seems to have it all together? If they're lost, they're all on their way to a demon's hell. 
And God would not, that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. Truth is, they're sick, and they all have the same disease. They're sin sick. And, it's, and being sin sick is not a physical condition that a doctor can fix. It's not an emotional condition that a licensed counselor can diagnose. This is a spiritual problem that, that, that the great physician is the only one who has the cure for. And to look at them any other way is to be just as these scribes and Pharisees, self-righteous and hypocritical. If not for the blood of Jesus and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, we would all be lost. So we must see everyone who is lost the same, no matter what their position in life. Listen, if you're here today and you're unsaved, I want you to know there's room for you at the cross. Jesus is calling you to him because he loves you right where you're at. You can't fix yourself, but he'll do a work in you that'll change your life. I firmly believe that we are a local body where anyone who sins sick can find a community that will pray for them, who will love them, and who will share Christ with them. I believe that or... Or you'd get tired of me preaching week in and week out. And if we ever lose sight of this, I pray that the Holy Spirit pours a convicting spirit upon us that we cannot tolerate. That we'll have to change. We'll have to repent. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you have not received him, The fact that you're here today testifies that he's calling you to follow him. As every head's bowed and every eye's closed, if you respond to his call to salvation by stepping out in faith and following him, he will respond to you. He will forgive you of your sin and he will begin a work in you. He will not stop working in you, on you, and through you until he completes that work. He brought you here today to be with this body because he knew this body of believers would be concerned about where you spend eternity. So come today. Come today. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God, come today. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. And experience the life-changing power that trust in Jesus provides. Would you come as they begin to sing this song of invitation? As you're coming, he's desiring you. He desires you more than you could ever desire him. So come. Come. The call is real.